All right, well, let's grab our Bibles. And uh, if you haven't already, let's turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. <clears throat> Last week we started a series uh, called The Seven Churches of Revelation. So as we look into this, uh, it's not going to be an exegetical study through the entire book of Revelation. We're really looking at chapter 1 and chapter 2 and some of chapter 3 um, and wanting just to make sure that we, we see what, what is the message from the Lord Jesus to the churches. And uh, we saw, uh, as, as John was, was catching this vision uh, from Jesus Christ, and he was wanting it to be shared with the churches, uh, the, the Lord told him to write what you have seen, write what is and what uh, will take place uh, and, and what you have seen, what you have seen, what is and what will take place. So as we look at the book of Revelation, it's all of those things. Sometimes we think, well, it's all, it's all prophecy for the future. Well, it's not necessarily true, right? Some of this is very much, this is what's going on now, and and you need to go and tell the churches this is how they should, should behave or what they should know. And, and, and what you have seen. What, and there's a testimony about Christ in this and what he has seen and, and revealing that to uh, the churches as well. So uh, we started last week with the church in Ephesus. And uh, it, it was, it was kind of one of those difficult things as we approached this. We realized it was like the report card. Remember last week I was telling you that? Like you, you get your report card from school. It's sealed in the envelope. And you have that long walk home wondering, what is this going to say about me? Right, that's kind of like the churches here in Revelation as well. As, as the, the letters are disseminated, as they're given to the churches, the whole letter is read, not just the, the little part to that one church. And you've got to be wondering, what is the Lord Jesus going to say about us? What's he going to say about us? Is he going to name anybody? Is he going to say, I mean, I don't know. You, know, you kind of get worried about that, you're concerned. And, and certainly uh, last week we saw the church of Ephesus, and we saw um, that they were the, the loveless church or the careless church, right? They, they lost their first love. They were commended so well for doing great things, works, and, and being amazing at their programs and how they didn't tolerate false teachers. But Jesus reprimanded them and said, listen, you, you've lost your first love. I have this against you. You've lost your first love. And if you don't repent, I don't care what you're doing, if you don't repent, I'm going to come and remove that lampstand from you. And that lampstand is the church. I'm, I'm going to take the church away from you. It's done, right? Because the church is to be a pinnacle that, that shines on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it has to start for you and I out of love for Jesus Christ. I, we talked about ways that our love may grow cold. And I, I want to just give you a clarification because I know it probably hit some people like uh, a little bit like this. I, I said at one point during the end of the sermon last week that you may, your love may grow cold if, if you're feeling like, man, church services last forever. I wish we were done sooner. Right? That maybe you have a little love loss there. Now, I, I, I still kind of stand by that, right? I think that if we're, we're here just kind of biding our time, punching the clock, you may need to test your first love. I, I know there are other situations and scenarios. I know there are health things going on and, and things that work schedules that are going on. I know that. But, but our desire should be, as a, as a body of Christ, to respond to his love for us by coming and, and loving one another well and, and listening and loving the Lord Jesus well and, and singing to him and singing to one another uh, to be the church that God has called us to be however long that might take or however short that might be. Today, by the way, I have two points in my sermon. So it's a two-point sermon. You're welcome, right? <laughs> and interestingly enough, you think about the, the, the correction given to Ephesus. You know, you're, you're, if, you're, if you're Smyrna now, the next church we're going to talk about today, you've, like, you've heard what was said to Ephesus. And you're like, oh, man, what is going to be said to us, right? And, and you're, you're kind of worried about that. And, and then as, as the, the message is read, it's like, wait, he didn't say anything bad. He didn't say anything bad to us. We're doing okay, right? And, and so we're going to see that today. And what, how do we handle that? I think there's, 
great times in our life where we, we should always be looking at our own heart, saying, God, what are you doing? Like, what, what, do you, what do I need to do differently? How do I need to respond to you differently? How can I be corrected? How can I repent and move towards you? Right? And that was the solution last week to how do we, when we lose our first love or don't have a first love towards Jesus, what do we do? We remember what he has done. Remember, then we repent of that sin and we repeat. Rem- right? Remember, repent, repeat. And that, that increases that first love. And, and we talked about how that can be even momentary, right? It doesn't have to take five weeks to get our first love back. I can just, I told you that story last week. I pulled off the side of the road and just needed to re- reconnect, refocus, go back and remember what Christ has done and what he's called me to and repent of any, any way I've, I've overlooked that and then repeat. And God blessed that and, and increased that love in my heart. So now, uh, today, as we look at Smyrna, we're, we're going to see what, what's this next church have against them, if you know, nothing but what is the Lord Jesus going to say to them? So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll read that passage together from Revelation 2, 1, uh, 8 through 11. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. God, our desire is to remember what you have done for us. And God, we have to come to that, come to that realization and that remembrance uh, with knowledge that we are nothing without you. That God, as good as we might want to be or as good as we think we are, doesn't count but God you made us count when you died on the cross for our sin when you atoned for our sin that we could be forgiven that we could be given righteousness God and while we can't earn our goodness you can make us good through faith in Christ so help us remember that remember the the great extents that you've uh, you've gone through in order to rescue us that you were crucified that you were buried that you rose again victoriously we serve a risen Lord and we're thankful so much for the impact you have made in our lives. God, as we look to your word now, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive, that you would, you would convict us of sin, God, that we would remember where we've come from, we would repent, God, and we would repeat that over and over, every moment that we need to. God, guide us through your word today. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Revelation 2, uh, and we're in uh, 8 through 11 today. 2, 8 through 11 is to the church of Smyrna. Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into, pr- into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, uh, let, or the one who conquers, will never be harmed by the second death. This is the word of God. All right, so I told you at two points today. Uh, remember last, last week we had uh, the approval, like what, it, what did God say was going well, then we had the accusation, like this is where you're messing up, and then you had the admonition, like this is how you can do better and this is how to fix it. Today we only have the approval and the admonition. So number one, the approval is this, you are rich. The Lord Jesus writing to the church in Smyrna says, you are rich. Now, uh, Smyrna was about 35 miles north of Ephesus, it was a port city as well, and and it was a, it was a, a thriving city. Um, it still is in, in existence today, the third largest city in Turkey, 
I don't know how to pronounce it, I- Izmir, is that right? Something like that. Uh, it's, it's a thriving city. It's still there, right? And, and as they're there, it's a, it's a hub, an epicenter for culture. It's an epicenter for, um, for work and, and, and for I- import and for all kinds of, of wealth. And it's also a, a hub for knowledge. And, and it's, there's rich Jewish tradition there, and there's rich Roman imperial cultish tradition there as well. And, and these are things that are coming against the church that we'll see as well. Uh, there's a lot of wealth, I said, in, in development, but it is also known for its wickedness, and it's known for its opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is where this little, we find this little church, this little church that, that you, listen, you probably would have been, I mean, think about suffering and persecution, we think about the persecuted church worldwide, we would think about, like, I'm going to keep to myself, I'm going to be quiet, I'm going to try to just, like, maybe not cause any problems or ruffle any feathers, and, and, and that's true, we like to kind of live at peace. The problem is Jesus has asked us to take the gospel beyond the little room that we meet in for prayer and for worship and for the word and to take the gospel beyond that and to share our faith with those around us. So our Christianity should be very public, right? Our Christianity should be very public in relationship to other people. Some people say, well, I go to church and we we don't talk about religion and politics. No, we, we need to talk about the gospel. The gospel is the saving gospel, right? The saving gospel message of Jesus Christ for all who would believe. It's, it's important for people to know the gospel and to believe the gospel. So as they start to share the gospel, they start to <clears throat> build relationships and rapport, this message goes out and, and then people come against that. Now you have the, uh, the tradition there, you have the, the Roman imperial cult, court or cult basically saying, listen, you have to bow down to Caesar. You have to, have to do your little magic spell and, and chant and say Caesar is Lord. And if you just do that and move on, we're good. But the Christians wouldn't capitulate. They're like, no, we're not going to do that. And, and listen, that, if you don't do that, you're not part, you can't be part of the guilds that are there. You can't be part of these groups of people who are going to be doing business. And what did the Lord Jesus say? He's like, I know that you're poor. I know that you're afflicted. Why are they poor? And this is abject poverty. This is like they have nothing. They have nothing because of persecution. People knew that they were faithful to Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and they said, well, you're not about this tradition. You're not, you don't align with this Jewish sect that's kind of exempt from this rule. So we, we, you have to do this or else, and if you don't, we're going to take this away from you and bar you from, from doing business. You're not going to have any, any livelihood here at all. You're going to work under the table somewhere, somehow, maybe, if the people you work for are okay with that. And that, that's taking a risk for them, too. They were poor. So they, they had pressure from this Roman culture, and they had pressure from the Jews who, they were exempt, they didn't have to say Caesar is Lord, right? And they, but they kept their own tradition. And so, well, you don't believe in us, and we don't certainly uh, ascribe to, to the Messiah. We don't want anything to do with you. So there's pressure from people who would be religious friends, right? We think are religious friends. And then there's pressure from the government as well on this little church in Smyrna. But Jesus says, listen, I know, and I, I love this. He says, uh, here's, here's the, you are rich. He says, write to the angel of the church in Smyrna, Right, so the messenger to the pastor to the one that's going to speak this, thus says, and I, I get you got to hear this. Jesus, this is Jesus. He knows who he's writing to, and this is what he says. Thus says the first and the last. What does that mean? I'm I'm God. I'm God. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, and I'm the first and the last. Listen, I'm writing you a letter. I, I had a talk with my son yesterday. And he talked about the Earth, and he's talking about how small. The earth is in comparison to God's hands. He takes this like balloon that's sitting in our living room. He says, like, this is the earth, and I'd be like God, and this is how, how big and how small it is. Yeah, that's crazy. 
and said, come here. And, and he brought it over and I said, look, look here, look at this little speck on this balloon right here, right? That's people, right? And that's probably magnified, but that's people. And we kind of played with it. Oh, shoot, we lost track of that person, right? And I said, but you need to understand how, God, how big God is. And he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Hey, but, but he cares about that little speck of a person, that we are created in the image of God and that you and I have value to him. And he loves us. He says, listen, I am the first and the last and you have value. He goes on, he says, the one, he's describing who he is. I'm the one who was dead and came back to life. You see the message here? The message is like, hey, I'm God. He's like, no, I'm the God that died for you. I'm the God who gave everything for you. I, I came down and humbled myself and took on human flesh so that I could be crucified. And I was dead as a doornail. And then I was alive again. What's he saying to the Smyrna church? He's saying, listen, I, I understand what suffering is. I understand that you're going through it right now. But I did first. And you are identifying with me, and I'm the first and the last. And I will have the ultimate victory. I'm the one who was dead and has come to life. And I love this in verse 9. I know. Remember last week we talked about this? This is so important for us to understand. The Lord Jesus, when he looks at you and he looks at me, he says, I know you. I know you. Now, for a lot of us, that's like, that freaks us out. Like, wait, 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 wait. What exactly do you know? <laughs> His answer is? Everything. All. I know it all. I know. But for us to, to have that knowledge, that he knows and, and that he still loves. He still chose to die. He still said, you are valuable. You are special. And I want to save you and show the glo my glory and the glory of the Father to everyone through that salvation. He knows. I know. And so what does he know? He says, I know your affliction and poverty. I know the pressures that you face. I know the persecution you experience. And listen, this is not similar to us. I mean, in some ways it is, but, but what they are experiencing is just being cast aside. And they are being tortured and they are being killed. And it, it says it here even that, that you're probably going to die for your faith. This is what they're experiencing. But he said, I know your affliction and I know your poverty because you can't earn money. You have nothing. You have to scrounge it up and you have to just continue to trust the Lord will provide. I know those things. But he says, and here's his admonition, here, or here's his approval. <clears throat> You're rich. You are rich. There has to be a connection here, right? There has to be something like, why? How, how can you say that I'm rich when I'm actually not? How can you say that I have, I have this fullness when I actually am absolutely empty, when I have nothing except for persecution all around me? He says, but you are rich. And then he has another I know statement, and I love this too. And this should be an encouragement to you and I. First off, Jesus knows you. But then he says, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. What, who else does Jesus know? Them. Them. He knows the enemy. He knows those who don't believe. He knows those who reject. He knows those who come against us and persecute us. He knows their heart as well. And they will have to deal with him as well. I know. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews. But they are not. They are a synagogue of Satan. He knows. That should bring comfort. He knows. He says, you are rich. You are rich. Now, we talked about the suffering they had there. There's a suffering from the Romans and the Greeks, uh, or the Greeks and Romans, and there's a, the, the suffering from the Jews <clears throat> as well who would harass the Christians and, and basically push them deeper into this despair. The suffering that Christians experience in all parts of the world. 
certainly would not be viewed as stories to share a victory. If you're thinking about this church, I mean, they are an afterthought who made the book, right? And so what about them was special and unique? Well, that they persevered, that they, they experienced it, and they did it for the glory of God. The world would only see a tragedy here, but the Lord, <clears throat> through the Lord's eyes and, and hopefully in our eyes, we would see a victory of Christ. And we see that his grace is what carries them on. So we see the connection here that, that, that you're rich, right? But you're afflicted. And what, how, where does that come to play? They are rich. A few verses here, passages. 2 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 8. Paul writes this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's just a huge statement there to unpack, right? But the, you know the grace. Like he's given you a gift you never deserve. He's given you favor and merit. He loves you. He's died for you. He's extended his forgiveness towards you that if you and I would believe, we would know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. There it is. You might become rich. By Jesus' poverty, you might become rich. That the grace of God is somehow connected to us being rich. But it cannot mean that we would be wealthy. Because the Smyrna church understands that. What does it mean? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul is writing earlier in verses 1 through 10. He says, we appeal to you, don't, don't receive the grace of God in vain. The grace of God in vain. Now this is, let me read a little more here. For he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now is the acceptable, t- now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. This is what, what Paul is writing. So he talks about this grace being received in vain. Some people would come to, come to the knowledge of Christ and say, oh, yeah, th- that sounds wonderful. I, I, I can be forgiven. I, I want that. And they'll say a little prayer, a magic spell, like, oh, yay, I'm going to heaven. But never really experience and receive the grace of God. They are still dead in their sin. But for those of us that have come to faith and have not received the grace of God in vain, and that has been, been uh, given to us uh, the righteousness of Christ and forgiveness of our sin through faith in Christ, uh, now, how do we now not receive the grace of God in vain? Well, the grace of God continues to be poured out onto us and continues to, to help us be progressively sanctified, become more and more conformed into the image and pattern of the Son, that we look more like Jesus. And so as we go through that journey, that journey is called life. And, and the church of Smyrna understood that. The church here understands that, that as we go through life, there will be trials and there will be tribulations. There will be things that come up that test that faith, right? That, 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 and, and test whether or not we want to receive more of God's grace and not receive it in vain because God's grace is there for us in those times as well. He goes on. He says, we are not giving anyone occasion for offense so that the ministry would be blamed. He, he says, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to say anything that would, would harm the, the impact in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want any attention. And he goes on and he says, instead, as God's ministers, what we commend ourselves to is this, in everything, by great endurance. So we're, we are going to prove the legitimacy of the gospel. We're going to prove the legitimacy of the grace of Jesus Christ through our lives. That if you could look at our lives, that would be the story that would tell all about the grace of God. Amen? Here's, and he describes it. By, he says, by endurance. First of all, that, that word endurance means like complete, like I've gone through the ringer and I've, I, I now am still standing. 
It's almost like the, the war story, right? Like you, you send a soldier off to battle, young pup just out of high school, and give him a gun and, and say, go on the front lines. And when they come back, what? They are a man. And they have endured. And they stand having endured. The same is true here. The same type of word is used. He says we, we commend ourselves. We show our lives. We show the grace of God by great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, through weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left hand, through glory and dishonor, through slander and good report, regarded as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet recognized, as dying yet see we live, as being disciplined yet not killed, as grieving yet always rejoicing, as poor yet, all, uh, yet enriching many, and as having nothing yet possessing everything. Now that's a long list. and You, you go home and study that on, and really pick that apart. Uh, but he's saying, look, look at my life here. I want to I show you the proof of not taking the, taking the grace of God in vain. See, he's not avoiding disaster. That would be so easy for some quiet church to say, let's just be quiet, go about our business, not ruffle any feathers. And he wasn't out to do that in the way that they would blame the gospel or blame, hold it against him. He's like, I'm just going to walk in and walk by faith. And where I go, this is going to come up. This is going to happen. And, and in the end, what it will show is my endurance and my faith. Like, I survived. I remember uh, years ago, I, I probably was, I don't know, 12 years old, 11 years old, and my grandparents would always drive us from, from Mount Shasta back to Libby, Montana, and, and back and forth uh, for summer vacations. And, and back then, the roads weren't very good in Montana. Well, I take it back. They still aren't very good in Montana, um, right? But, but the roads were really bad, and like, like a single, two-lane highway, just, you know, no, no way to pass, and it was just potholes everywhere. And I remember my grandpa was so just always verbal about that, and, and he went into a store one day, and he was getting some gas, and maybe getting a couple sodas or something for the rest of the trip, and they were selling little button, pin buttons, right, you put on your, your, uh, your shirt, and it said, I survived Highway 2. <laughs> I survived. And I remember he got that, and it was just a, a laughing joke, and my grandma eventually had, like, had kept that up in her car for many years, I survived Highway 2. And, and it's, it's that endurance, like, man, it's, we've gone through some rough times. This is greater than that, though, isn't it? The church of Smyrna experienced great persecution. It wasn't just a potholy road. This was, I survived ridicule. I survived homelessness. I survived unemployment. I survived people in my family saying all kinds of things against me. I survived uh, family members being put to death because of their faith. Church members, church family members being put to death for their faith. I survived that. I endured that. At the end of that time, I stood. I stood. And Jesus is commending them. He's, you stand because of God's grace. And, and in that standing, you have nothing, but you have everything. You have absolutely everything. You have the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes this. He says, we have this treasure that's Jesus, right? This Holy Spirit within us in jars of clay. So that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. Listen, you and I do not have the strength to do it on our own. We cannot go it alone. It's from him. So it says, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. 
We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. You see those things he says there? This, this extraordinary power that comes in, the, the grace of God not taken in vain, this, this way that we have nothing but have everything, what is it? Is that we're not crushed, we're not in despair, we're not abandoned, we're not destroyed because of Jesus Christ. And he says we always carry the death of Jesus in our bodies, right? remembering he's the first and the last, the one who was dead and is alive now. And we carry, carry him in our bodies so that the life, the life of Jesus might be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that. So why are the sufferings there? What is it good for? So that Jesus' life might also be displayed in our mortal flesh. When we can stand after all of that affliction, when we can stand having nothing but having everything, that shows the world that Jesus is everything. And they understood that. James 1, James writes, Consider it great joy. So this is our attitude now, like knowing that all of this might come down, this might rest on us, the persecution and affliction, the poverty might rest on us, the sickness, whatever it might be. What do we do with that? Knowing that we can stand and show Jesus in that, he says, consider it great joy. That should be joyous. When you, uh, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, consider it great joy. We don't do a good job of that, right? I whine and complain a lot, right? I, and I'm a dad with little kids, and I'm teaching them to not do that. I have to, it's like right, difficult all the time. We want to be comfortable. We want to make things peaceful. But, but the real peace we need is from the Lord Jesus, and let that reign in us. So he says, whenever you experience trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's that word again, and Paul used that. He said, listen, you're, I'm going to show you the way I love God and how, he, how, he, how this grace is enough by my endurance. I'm going to show you that, that after all these trials and through every single thing, I am able to stand, even with nothing, having everything. James says, and let endurance, let endurance have its full effect. What does it do? That you might be mature and complete, lacking nothing. What's, what's Jesus say? You're rich. You lack nothing. You have everything. You have Jesus. He reigns and his life reigns in you that people will see Jesus. Yes, you'll probably die. But he's been dead. And he rose from the dead to give you life. And they cannot take your soul. And he goes, he says, I know you. I know your affliction, your poverty. He says, I know them too, right? I know there are those who slander and they call themselves Jews. This is, this is how it is in our lives, right? That there, there's this epicenter of people who kind of identify with religious things. And, they, and, and certainly the Christians there know that religion. They're, most of them are part of it. But they're, they're not friendly. They're not, those Jewish people are not friends. They were against them. And, and Paul wrote about this and, and says, listen, there are, there are those Jews who will, you'll know they're your friends and there are those who are not. In Romans, he says, a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly. And true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. That's the person you want to befriend. Not the one who's all about the flesh and all about the law and all about the rules and looking fancy in their religion. It's not about that. It's about knowing Christ and 
And whether I have anything or nothing, I have everything in him. Uh, in, in Smyrna, this is interesting, and if you follow along with church history at all, you know, one of the church fathers, Polycarp, was the bishop of Smyrna. And, and it was, it talk about the, those Jews who were against, right? You had, of course, you had the Romans, the Greeks who were against Christianity, and you don't want to bow down to Caesar? Well, we're off with your head. You can't work. Let me have your license. You're done. That was, that was obvious. But then you think there's people that are, are friends and should understand the depth of the gospel. And Polycarp was, was a leader of the church, and, and he was ex- executed. He was, he was killed for his faith. He was martyred. And those same Jews that persecuted the church in Smyrna brought the wood to light the fire underneath Polycarp. We want nothing to do with you. That's the pressure that was all around them. John says in 1 John, dear friends, don't believe every spirit, right? Someone comes saying, oh yeah, I, I, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm on your side. Same team. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. It's so important here. And so how do we identify these false prophets? What do we, how do we know? We're going to get into this in the next few weeks as well, because some of these churches that are written to are, are letting these false teachers in and invade and bring in their ideas and their thoughts, and it's destroying the integrity and the purity and the unity of the church. So John says, this is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, the people he was addressing and the, and the false teachers would say, oh, no, he wasn't of flesh. He was just, it was just a supernatural, spiritual thing. He didn't actually have flesh and blood, right? No, he, he did. God, the God of the universe, came and took on human flesh, not because it was fun. The God of the universe came and put on human flesh so he could die for our sin. Yeah, praise God that he did that. It, it, what people believe, what, what John's saying, what people believe about Jesus is at the center of all of this. You might have, oh yeah, we like these kind of traditions. We, we're nice people, we're good, they, they talk a good talk. But when it comes down to answering the question, who is Jesus, it is so important that we unite with people of like mind who know and understand the Jesus of the Bible, the God of the Bible. That every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming even now is already in the world. They were against him. They were against them. It has to do with who is Christ. And listen, when you and I have him, there's a beautiful thing that happens. Right? We're given a righteousness through faith that is not our own. We're made right with God because of what Jesus atoned for on the cross. And when you have him, the real Jesus, the real deal, you have everything. And you are rich. You are rich. You are rich. So that's the approval. You are rich. Now, though, we'll go into number two here. The admonition, number two, is this. Here's, here's what he admonishes. Here's what he encourages. Here's what advice he gives. He says, don't be afraid. Look and be faithful. Those three things in there. I know I kind of tricked you with the points. There's three in one, but anyway. The admonition, don't be afraid. Look, be faithful. There was no accusation. There was like, yeah, you guys are kind of messing up here. But I think it's, it's very appropriate that you and I, even if, the, if God says, well done, you're doing amazing, he will still say, watch out for this, watch this. That's what good parents do, right? That's what good coaches do. That's what good teachers do. We, we, we train, we teach. Hey, you're doing a great job. This is coming around the corner, though. This is up next. 
I've seen it. We've done it. Here's how you, here's how you navigate that. Here's what God, right? This is, this is what we want to do, right? God, this is what Jesus is doing for this church. This is what's up next. This is what's coming. So he says, let's go on in our text here in uh, Revelation 2, looking at verse 10 and 11. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who hears or has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. Interesting here, right? He says, don't be afraid. Look and be faithful. Don't be afraid. Now, I, I would think as soon as I hear that, I'm like, oh, don't be afraid of what we are going through. Because you just mentioned your affliction, your poverty. Don't be afraid. I got you. But he doesn't say that. He, he goes fast forward, doesn't he? He's like, I know it's hard right now. Don't be afraid. Because And the next thing you want to hear is, it's going to get better. It's going to be okay. Right? That's what good parents say. It's okay. It's, but what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. You've been suffering, but you're rich. By the way, don't be afraid of what's about to come. You've got to still persevere. You've still got to push on. Look, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison to test you, uh, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Now, commentators think that that could be 10 days and mean something like that, or it could be a, a length of time, as we've seen in different parts of Scripture. For some length of time, they'll be persecuted and experience this affliction. But the, the encouragement then is through that affliction to be faithful to the point of death, and I'll give you the crown of life. You're going to win a prize. I mean, people in the, in the city there, they looked for this crown of life. They wanted to win this prize in the games. And the, Jesus says, listen, you're, you're going to get a reward. Trust me. This will not be all in vain. You, you are going to be blessed by me. And I, whom I am the first and the last, the one who was dead and is now alive again, right? That's a little more weight behind that than the Olympic Committee. He goes on. Be faithful to the point of death. I'll give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, he's like, what's your heart thinking? What, how, are, you, are you listening? Are you ready to hear? The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. Listen, you're, you're going to die. You're going to die, but there is life in Christ, and, and death then cannot touch you. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be abandoned. You're going to feel all of those things, but, but God is not going to abandon you. God won't let you despair. God won't let you be crushed. He will be there. <clears throat> Luke chapter 12, this idea of don't fear, right? Do not be afraid. Jesus says, I say to you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. That's <laughs> kind of crazy, isn't it? Hey, don't be afraid of those who can just kill you. Like, wait a minute, that's like the pinnacle of it all. I should be terrified, right? He's like, no, this is an eternal thing. This is an eternal mindset, a heavenly perspective. All they can do is take away the flesh and blood that surrounds your soul. He goes on, but I will show you the one you should fear. Fear him who has the authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. So when he, his, his admonishment to the church is, don't fear, don't be afraid. It, it, but be afraid, right, of the one who should be feared. Don't be afraid of people. Don't be afraid of persecution. Don't be afraid of ridicule. Don't be afraid of poverty. Put your fear rightly in God's hands. 
Let him be your judge. And that, now listen, that should drive us to a point of, of faith and trust. Like, okay, I fear you, God. You can handle my soul, so I'm going to hand you my soul. And when we hand God our soul, when we come to him in faith and trust him with our soul, he takes care of it. He takes care of it. We have not anything to fear, but we have a fear and reverence for now God who we've entrusted our souls to. Just fear him. So aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet, not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Again, going back to that speck on the ball, right? you and I are valuable to God. You are important to God. You are not forgotten in God's sight. He cares and he sees you. Indeed, the hairs on your head are all counted. For some of you, it's easier for God to count than for others. But he knows the number all the same. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than the sparrows. God cares for the sparrows. God cares and knows the numbers of hairs on your head. God cares for you. Our fear for, should not be towards, in people, it should be towards God. Don't fear. For Peter, Peter writes this in 1 Peter 4, the end of all things is near, right? That They probably felt that in Smyrna. Therefore, be alert. Like, this is the looking now, so don't be afraid, but now look, be alert. Be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. So this is kind of showing now, this is the attitude of, of looking and being alert and, and an attitude of faith and how we live. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's word. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides so that God might be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. Right? Our, our goal is to glorify God. That's what Paul was saying earlier. Like I, I want this endurance and be able to stand because of what Jesus is all about and that I have everything in him. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Then he goes in and says, dear friends, don't be surprised. So this admonition is, don't be afraid, but look, the devil's about to do something, right? So we're being sober-minded, we're being alert, and we're not going to be surprised. When what? When fiery ordeals come among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. So when we have these things, it's not unusual. We shouldn't be surprised at them. Instead, here's our instruction, instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you might also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Don't let anyone suffer because they're a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or meddler. I mean, we all should suffer for that. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. Christian, Christ-like. I'm identifying with Christ. I'm suffering like Christ suffered. This is the, what the church in Smyrna was doing. They were suffering, and in that suffering, they were identifying with Christ, and they were alert that it was going to come again. And what the, the alert was, the, the, the encouragement was that when it does, lean in, suffer, identify, know that you are identifying with Christ and that you are bringing him glory. Know that, that, the, that you're going to glorify God as you have that name, as you suffer for the name of Christ. He writes again in, in chapter 5, be sober-minded and alert. Again, Jesus said, look, watch, be sober-minded, alert. Your adversary, the devil, what? Is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone that he can devour. 
we're going to be lunch, is what he's saying. He's looking for a snack, and you and I happen to be on the menu. Resist him, firm in the faith, right? knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. So this is not for, Jesus is like, this is not foreign. This is how it goes. This is how this plays out until the end, that you and I will be called to suffer. In fact, the scripture says it's God's will that we suffer. And because it identifies with Christ, it shows Christ, and it, re, it gives him glory as we identify with him and his name. So we're to not be afraid. We're to look and be uh, alert. And then finally, in this last part, we're to be faithful. He says, be faithful. He says, be faithful to the point of death. I'll give you the crown of life. Like death, death is certainly coming your way. In Timothy, Paul writes, the gospel I was appointed to this gospel the message of Christ, the glory of Christ, the forgiveness of sin, the atonement through his death and life through the resurrection. This gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, a teacher, and that's why I suffer these things. This is a herald of that news. But he says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. This is, this is how we be faithful. We say, you know what, I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm, wherever I am, I'm not going to be ashamed of what Christ has done. And, and I'm not ashamed because I know there's been a lot of Jesus saying, hey, listen, I know you, I know them, I know you, I know your heart. Paul says, now I know, right? I know whom I have believed in. I know. And see, that's so rich for you and I. To endure persecution, to endure hardship, it has to come down to that, living by faith in the one we know. He says, I know whom I have believed in, and I am persuaded. Again, this is faith, living by faith, that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. That what he has done for me, the forgiveness he has offered, the grace that I have received through faith in Jesus Christ, he guards. And I can entrust it to him. And then he, he exhorts, he says, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you've heard from me. What is it like to be faithful even to the point of death? It is to hold on. Hold on all the more to that faith and that message and that truth that God holds us. He holds on to us. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you've heard from me in the faith and, in, uh, and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit. That's living, living faithful. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Be faithful. Be alert. Don't be afraid. Be alert. Look and be faithful. Listen, Jesus' sobering message to the church in Smyrna was that they could expect to suffer and potentially die for their allegiance to him. But he was speaking to them as one, as the one who already died and came back to life. So suffering and death are not the end of the story. It's the beginning. And as we suffer, we identify with Christ. And as we suffer, we hold on to, to Christ and know that he holds on to us. So here's the question today. Are we taking Jesus at his word when he says these things to us? When he says, listen, you're going to suffer, are we taking Jesus at his word? Are we, are we saying, yeah, Jesus, I believe you. I'm going to suffer, but I can hold on to you. I can endure. I can stand. Have we allowed this heavenly perspective, this biblical perspective about what is happening in the world and, and our suffering we let, we, let, we let his perspective dominate our thinking. Do we let his encouragement dominate our feelings? 
rather than embracing what the world has to say about it, what, rather than embracing a desire for real health and real wealth. Like, I'd rather just be rich and not sick and not pressured. Jesus says, no, that's not going to happen. You're going to suffer. Living my best and blessed life now means identifying with Christ in his sufferings and knowing that through faith in Christ, because he died and lives, even when I die, I can live also. So don't be afraid. Be watchful and be faithful to the one who holds on to our souls. Amen? Let's stand together as we pray and continue to worship the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> Father, you are, you are good and gracious and loving, and we thank you so much for who you are. God, as we have looked at the church in Smyrna today, God, I know that they are a church that suffered. We're ridiculed, we're pressured, we're, we're poor, but Lord, they had everything. God, help us understand what being rich really means. That God, having faith in Christ, having you as Savior, having you as an anchor for our souls and a guard over our souls is everything. And God, help us to, to not be afraid of what the world can do to us. To be watchful and, and sober-minded, knowing that attacks are going to come. God, from without and certainly potentially from within. But let us hold firm. Let us hold fast. Let us be faithful to the end. Because you are faithful. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen as we